What up, y'all? This is Alex Clark Youngblood. Today we have our fourth episode. My father. Quote-unquote father. For lack of a better term. The man who is half of my genetics. Um, this is a profound one for me personally. Uh, the content of it is pretty interesting. I-, I wanted more answers. I wanted um, a more forthcoming subject when I did this interview, uh, because quite frankly, I think this is probably the person who inspired this entire effort on my part. I know nothing about this man, and uh, I desire to get to know who he is, and that side of my family kind of inspired um, what ended up being kind of a cross-country journey to record these interviews over the past few years. Um. But after sitting down with him and talking to him and making an effort to get to know him, I didn't feel, at least on um, a personal level, that he was particularly forthcoming. Y- y'all can can judge for yourself um, how forthcoming or, or accurate you think he is. I don't think he... Anyway, there, there's some interesting content in this interview regardless that has nothing to do with, with he and I's relationship or the dynamic between he and my mom or you know all of our little family. There's, there's some fascinating stuff just about... Um, his upbringing and, and, and his life. He's, he's lived an interesting life, and I certainly don't agree with the way he has gone about, well, let's say, the second half of it. Um, you know, there's some interesting con- content in there regardless. Just some quick backstory, and I apologize for the, for the baby sound in the background here um, as I record this, but I think it's kind of fitting and ironic because the reason I have a baby in the background right now, uh, it's not my child, it's a friend of my child, but I'm in charge of, of raising this little life form, at least Monday through Friday. Um, and the a reason I'm doing that is because I want practice being a father. Um, I know I want to be a father, and when that time comes, I want to be able to hit the ground running and, and be the best possible father I can be. And the impetus for that is the fact that I never had a, a father growing up myself. Um, and it's taken me a, a long time to get to this point of desire to have kids or this journey of trying to become the best man I can possibly be. But, you know, I have my lack of father and the broken person I see him as, as kind of inspiration to be a better man myself, which is why I'm sitting with a 13 month old, uh, climbing on my couch as we speak. Um, anyway, just a quick backstory. This has been touched on in, in previous interviews, but just quick backstory of my relationship or lack thereof with my dad. Um, he and my mom met in Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, she was pregnant soon into their relationship. He didn't. Uh, he would have preferred to have an abortion. Uh, fortunately for me, my mom refused, and I was born. And my mom took me away from Louisiana to move to Atlanta uh, soon after I was born to to start a life on her own with with her two children. Then at that time, as a single mother of two children, they made an effort to get the band back together right around when I was two years old. And my mom ended up pregnant again with my younger sister. But my my father dipped out and left a picture uh, before my younger sister was even born. And essentially, we never saw him again. We we visited a few times throughout childhood, uh, a handful of times. I remember going to Louisiana or him visiting Atlanta, I have vague memories of and, you know, meeting my siblings on that side and, and things like that. But it certainly, I really didn't know much about the guy um, ever, really, until I did this over the past couple of years going through these interviews. Um, 
but as I say towards the end of this interview, I don't, I've held a lot of resentment toward this guy for a long time, and I don't want those feelings anymore. Um, I don't want to hold any resentment to this, uh, against this guy anymore. I, I want to free myself of that emotion, and I, and I want to free him of any, any negative emotion if there is any there, <laughs> if there's any sort of emotion at all there with regards to, to his, uh, the children whom he doesn't have a relationship with. Anyway, so so th- so that's that. I would like to proceed forward, um, you know, un- un- unattached to this, and and I'm open to a- any sort of loving or positive relationship that anyone wants to to mutually develop with me. So I'm open to that potentiality with him as well. So anyway, without any further ado, I apologize for the little bit of a long soliloquy there, but I I think it's important for the context of this interview. Um, so without any further ado, here is the man who made me, in part. Hugh Youngblood Sr. Alrighty. So let's just start from the beginning then. Talk, let's start, you know, with your birth. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Okay. I was actually born, well, uh, my family, my mom and dad and I were, were living, my mom and dad were living in Sicily Island, uh, which is a little town between uh, Winsboro and Natchez, Louisiana. And uh, I was born in uh, I guess you're born in St. Francis Hospital in Monroe, though. That's where I was born. Yeah, okay. yeah. that's your work. Same place. Mm-hmm. After you were born in Monroe, did you immediately come back here to the plantation? No, no, no. Uh, I lived, uh, we lived in, uh, uh, in Sicily Island until I was about four years old. That's oh. my, my family and I lived in Sicily Island until uh, I was about four years old. My dad was a partner in a lumber company there. But uh, when I was four... Uh, we came to live with my grandfather and grandmother Hill, who uh, who owned the plantation, and uh, we we just stayed with we we were living here with them from from that point on, um, and you know until I you know went through school, so uh, I basically grew up here from the time I was four. Uh, what yeah. was life like here on the plantation, growing up here? It's kind of an isolated environment, isn't it? What do you remember about your childhood? Yeah, uh, on the oh, I, it was great. I had a great time. I, I had plenty of people to play with because there were a lot of people living on the place uh, uh, that were working on the plantation, and I, all of them had kids. Okay. So I had plenty of playmates. Okay. Yeah, it was great. So you weren't bored at all? No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, today it's kind of an isolated place. It's just you and Breston here, but I guess back in the... You were born in 46, mm-hmm. correct? So I guess back in the day, it was more operational and more oh, active. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was always something going I mean, it was uh, dozens of people uh, around uh, every day. Um, I mean, there were people, I guess, in the, in the house. There were uh, or at least three or four people, uh, uh, ladies working. And then uh, in the yard, there were uh, uh, three or four people. And uh, then in the fields, there were dozens of people. So they were working all of these fields all around the plantation. Mm-hmm, exactly. Okay. And if you notice the bell out there in the yard, uh, that's a dinner bell. So it was rung at 12 o'clock every day to let everybody in the fields uh, know it was time for lunch. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. What was being grown back then? Cotton. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exclusively cotton? Everything cotton, yeah. Everything cotton. Right. And it was like that... 
me and Breston and I talked about this yesterday. I guess the plantation, the actual house itself was built in the late 1700s. 1793. 1793. Mm-hmm. But then it came into our family's possession in 1910, I, I think we No, I'm it. not really sure okay. of that date. Breston probably has it down more than I because he's done research at the courthouse okay. on it. So, uh, But uh, talking about people, uh, uh, they were, uh, everybody pretty much had uh, were job specific for instance in the house there was one uh lady assigned to do nothing but polish silver that was her job uh-huh polish every silver. day every okay, keep silver polish <laughs> wow so you had like houseworkers like maids yeah uh-huh. and then uh and then uh, i know there was one uh, uh guy uh outside uh worked outside named john fox and his job was to do nothing but uh, take care of the chickens. Uh, and uh, every day, I mean, you know, when we'd have uh, had dinner, he would he would uh, catch a chicken and wring its neck. Oh, wow. Clean it and all. So, I mean, uh, like on Sundays, uh, a lot of times a preacher would come and join us for dinner. And uh, John Fox would uh, would uh, have one chicken for the, uh, kill two chickens, one chicken for the family and the other one just for the preacher. <laughs> <laughs> and this preacher was from what denomination? Oh, this is, uh, my, my grandmother was, was Baptist, went to the Baptist church. So this is the Baptist church that was in Columbia? Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I've it, the few times that I've come and visited and kind of talked to people around Columbia, it seems like our family, uh, the Hill family, I guess originally Mimi's parents owned the house, mm-hmm. and then the Youngblood family later on, as it was more known as the plantation of the Youngbloods, mm-hmm. was this the biggest plantation or farm in the area? Because it seems like it's the family was well known. Anytime I've, I've come to Columbia mm-hmm. and visited and people ask who I am, and I mentioned mm-hmm. the last name Youngblood, it mm-hmm. seems like people are very well aware. Well, this is a small house. place. Everybody knows everybody. Right. So it's, it's not that not that big a deal. But I'm, I'm sure there were several plantations, uh, working plantations. But uh, what's significant about this is this is the oldest plantation on the Washtenaw River. Oh, so this is the oldest in the area. Oldest. And then, but they were actually, uh, I think, a total of five plantations that that were uh, Spanish land grants uh, that were given to, uh, I think, uh, this one was given to the Brest family, B-R-E-S, and that's how Breston Plantation gets its name. Uh, but there were actually five places along the river. This happened to be the, uh, well, this is the only one still standing. There's one uh, a couple miles up the road uh, north of here on the river called Sino Plantation. Uh, it also burned, but they completely rebuilt it uh, to the original likings of the uh, of the uh, of the plantation before uh, the house before it burned. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so from seventeen in the late seventeen hundreds onward until I think Bruce and I got there right around nineteen ten. Our family had owned it. It was an operational plantation. That's what it was. From what we understand, it was like growing cotton. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure. And uh, I really don't know what the story was about how my family acquired it. I never really got got that. But uh-huh. um, I think Breston has done, like I said, done more research than I have. 
Yeah, he, he seemed to he seemed to have no good background about it. So at the time that or during that prior to our family owning it, it must have been operated by slaves. And then when when you came to live on it, mm-hmm. were there people the the people that were working on the plantation were they living on the property or were they living elsewhere and coming to work? Yeah, we, we probably had. Uh, I would say probably 15 houses. Uh, 15? You have 15 families living on the plantation. Oh, wow. I didn't know this was that extensive. Yeah, I mean, and the, the, uh, the, 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 everybody, each family had their own house. And, um, but, yeah, there was that many. I remember those two houses that used to be up front near the entrance. What mm-hmm. happened to all, those are no longer there either. So what happened to well, all the 50? Uh, well, they, they eventually got torn down or whatever to make uh, to make room for the, you know, make, make more uh, room for growing crops. And, and about the time that I was growing up, <clears throat> people started moving away from here mm-hmm. uh, to get, uh, get jobs. I mean, I think in the 60s, more or less, uh, started moving away here get jobs in, in the factories in, you know, Chicago and Detroit and mm-hmm. St. Louis and things like that. So, uh, it, 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 you know, little by little people moved away. Do you think that was tied to the civil rights movement at the time? Because all of the workers, I'm assuming, were black, were they, when you were growing up? Mm-hmm. You- no, I don't think it had anything to do with that at all. It, it was just that there was more... Uh, as as the original families uh, maybe had six eight kids uh, in a family, as the, the original family would stay, but as the kids uh, you know would, right. would would grow up, they they would hear about uh, things you know uh, you could go to Detroit and get a job in a factory up there. So that, I guess they just you know that was just the trend, right? But nothing to do with civil rights at all. Because uh, these people were really happy, and and, and the ones that are uh, that are still around here, they love to come back here and talk about uh, uh, what a good time they had growing up here and all that. So everybody was it was like one big family. Okay, what was the racial dynamic back then? Do you remember like the clear separation between black and white, and what was permitted, and like your parents' attitude, or your grandparents' attitude? Uh, well, to black I mean, it, it was not no. Prejudice. Uh, uh, I mean, it was you know it wasn't anything as such as prejudice. It was just uh, like tradition, I guess, uh, or the way things were. You know, uh, black had their were together, and the whites were together. It was not, but it wasn't anything malicious about it. It's just the way things were, and everybody was extremely happy. Uh, I mean, the blacks had their own school. And the whites had their own school, and and, and it, it, the the black school was just as uh, many many ways uh, superior to the white school. But no, everybody uh, everybody got good, 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 good education. Everybody was happy, well fed. Um, they we had a garden, and and everybody had had uh, you know just helped themselves to the garden. They we always killing uh, cows and pigs and chickens. Everybody had. Uh, you know, this could help themselves to anything they wanted. Wow, so you remember like actual slaughtering of animals and stuff? Yeah, I mean, it was just part of the farm. Right. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, and we have a, uh, we had a house right out there called the Smokehouse, where we'd, uh, when they would uh, kill a hog or whatever, that, that's where we, they, they would smoke the meats. Okay. So it's called the Smokehouse. And you went to school, so you moved here when you were four, and you went to school, I 
I believe from our last interview, you said starting around like sixth or on first grade. Yeah, sixth, first grade. And that was in the town of Columbia itself? In, in the town of Columbia, and it was one school, Columbia School, and it was grades one through 12. Everybody in one, in and, one school. Right, and, it, and it, there were about 30, uh, 25, 30 kids in each grade. Everybody went through school together. Right. The whole group of people in my grade just. First grade, second grade, we were all in the same class. What was the, how large was your class? About 25 or 30. 25 to 30, first grade through 12? Oh, right, but the, each one would have, a, there were two first grades, two second grades. Okay. First, you know, every every grade had two two different classes. So what was your graduating class from high school? Well, how many people do you think were in it when you graduated high school? Well, see, uh, different dynamic there. Uh, when I was in the 12th grade, there, there were... I think five schools in the parish: Columbia, uh, Grayson, Kelly, uh, Hebert, uh, what, whatever. Sam. But and then they built a consolidated high school, which is Caldwell Parish High School, and we were the first graduating class uh, of Caldwell Parish High School. So there, in that case, there were about a hundred students in our graduating class. Okay, big graduate. Everybody consolidated mm-hmm. into that mm-hmm. high school. That's the same high school that Caroline Bob and Breston went yeah, to. Yeah, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you were the first one to graduate mm-hmm. from that. Wow. Um, but when so when you went to school, let's see, you would have started in like 52, 53? Yeah. And means you would have graduated high school. 64. 64. Did you ever go to school with black people? Mm-mm. Yeah. No. They had a separate... wasn't, you know, what that wasn't, that wasn't the, the thing. I mean, you, you know, that's, a, that's sort of a, you wouldn't ever think about it. Right. White people wouldn't think about it. Black people wouldn't think about That's it. That's the I way mean, it was. Just not, it just, you know, no, nobody even wanted to. I mean, it wasn't any big deal. Right. White, uh, whites had their own school. Blacks had their own school. So. They had a, they had the, the black schools in Columbia as well. It was just a separate school in Columbia? Mm-hmm. Or is it outside? Oh, oh, it's called Union Central. It's out between Columbia and Grayson. Does it still exist? Yeah, it's now an elementary school. Oh, okay. Um, you told some wild stories the last time around about things that you experienced that were that did seem like overt racism, some wild stuff about like hangings at the courthouse and things like that. Can you rehash some of those stories and well, fish fries? Yeah. I think that's uh, incredible. Yeah, well, okay. It, it seemed incredible to you, but it, I mean, I didn't think anything about it. Uh, but think, it'll be incredible to an audience. Uh-huh, well, whatever. <laughs> whatever. No, I, I, I think uh, I was recalling you one Saturday night, my grandparents, uh, my mom and dad were doing something, but my grandparents uh, were invited to a fish fry at another plantation. So I remember uh, uh, going, and it you know it's a big you know social gathering, uh, but uh, the real purpose, the real I get not entertainment at the event, but the the purpose of the event was there was a hanging. It was one of the people. Uh, I don't know what the situation was that uh, you know why he was to be hanged, but apparently he did something. So uh, yeah, there was a, uh, they uh, they had a hanging uh, uh, at the fish fry. 
And but it was you know the black people there serving fish. Black, really? Yeah, black people entertaining. You know they had 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 uh, you know gospel groups singing and everything. It's like at any other event. But one of the one of the uh, at the event one of the, uh, the the things just happened to be a hanging during the fr- uh, at at the fish fry. Oh wow! So it's like this social gathering from people around the town, different families. Yeah, it would come. It would come to the hang. Now that's not that's not that much different from like uh, when they would have a hanging at the courthouse. Uh, I remember when I was in Cub Scouts. Uh, I guess that third grade or something. Uh, we met. Oh, uh, okay. Our scout troop uh, scout leader said, "Okay, we're going out to the courthouse." Uh, Today, because they're uh, they're having a hanging, so and, and it looked like everybody in the parish was there, you know, with blankets on the ground and everything. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, that that was just a sort of a normal uh, kind of event. The scout, so the boy scout troop would go down for the hanging. Yeah, the, the scout troop, would, 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 they just took us down to the hanging because it was a big, it was a big social event, and uh, we, we we just joined the rest of the crowd. And other townspeople would come around and oh, just after, gather around. Uh-huh. And that was just like, you know, this the person being hung had apparently committed some crime. And uh, apparently so. In other words, it was more a legal, I mean, I guess went through the court process uh, if it was done at the courthouse. Right. You know, and that was just a punishment for the crime. Now, I don't know, again, I don't know what the details were about the hanging at the fish fry, but that, that was probably more informal. Right. Uh, but... Uh, Related to that, uh, uh, who someone was talking about it yesterday. Every uh, when I was going through school, grade school, high school, uh, every Thursday night there would be a clan meeting at the high school ball uh, football field. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> wow! At your at the Caldwell Parish High School uh, at the high school football field, right? And uh, you know, Thursday night was the clan meeting. Wow! And, and uh, there would be. Uh, you know, everybody would have on their, their white uh, robes and everything. And, of course, uh, you know, you never, I, I never knew who was there because, it, you know, everybody had on, on a white hood and a white robe. Right. And uh, they would, uh, you know, uh, burn at the at the goalpost. They would have crosses if they burned. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and that was, you know, public high school. And that was every Thursday night? Mm-hmm. Would they give like speeches? Or I, I don't know. See, kids would go down and play. Right. Just like a ball game or whatever. Kid, little kids would just go around and, and, and play. Uh, but I, I, I mean, I, I can remember going, but I can't really remember anything uh, specific about it. I just went down to play with my friends. Right. Just a social gathering. A social gathering, yeah. Were any of our family members that you can remember, like, active members of the clan or anything like uh, that? No, but, uh, not that I know of, but uh, have you ever seen the clan swords? I've seen them, yeah. They're, 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 that must be from our family then, though. Uh, I, if they're here, I guess they are. So, you know, there are a couple clan swords uh, uh, in the hall. Yeah, I remember seeing those when I would come visit as a little kid. I thought it was so cool. I was like, oh, wow, it's a real sword. Mm-hmm. And I think... Yeah, I think it was either you or Bub that t- mm-hmm. well, I was picking them up one day mm-hmm. or one of my siblings was showing me the swords and I, you know it's a sword I was five years old I thought it was awesome and then one of y'all told me the story about it and well I, I tell you let's run let me go run and get one okay and I'll show you okay go right. ahead cool okay the way you know it's a clam sword is because of the cross okay 
Christian cross. I'll have to take a picture of this and put it up. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, so it's shaped. Obviously, the people listening can't hear, but yeah, it's shaped exactly like a cross. It's got a metal sheath. Um, got a tip of the... Like a, it looks like an eagle figure at the end of the sheath. Um, at the head, it's got a knight. I got knights of the Ku Klux Klan, I believe mm-hmm. what they're called. White handle. It's like maybe... Like ivory. Yeah, ivory. Let me take it out. Wow, it's just a skinny sword. So I guess, was this part, do you remember this being part of like the outfit, the part of the robe? Oh, I, I have no idea. Uh-huh. I, I never never thought about it. The only time I, I saw the sword was where, you know, the, where they are now. <laughs> wow. But these have been here as long as you can remember? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's unbelievable. Incredible piece of history. Dark piece of history, but still mm-hmm. fascinating nonetheless. Wow. Okay. Well, that was good. That's a good start to the pod. Those are some fascinating stories. Um, so, what do you when you look back on your childhood? And let's say, like pre high school, when you're when you're a child, mm-hmm. um, how do you look back on it? Do you look back on it fondly? Do you look back? Well, what's your emotional response when you? Yeah, look back I had a good, always had a good time. Okay. Yeah, I always had a good time. Yeah. And after I, I got into started first grade. <clears throat> And got into and got into school. Plenty of friends, you know. You know, would they come? Would you have friends from school that would come to the plantation to play? Sure. So you had not only the black kids that you're playing with that lived on the plantation, but you also had friends coming from right. school. Mm-hmm. Um. What? So what? I was thinking about this. I didn't ask you this last time we talked. What were your dreams as a child? Like, what did you? Do you ever remember having like dreams of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, growing up in a small town and on a plantation like this, what do you remember what you like aspired to be when you were an adult? No, nothing specific. Okay. Nothing. Nothing specific. So, but uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and then, so then you started in uh, high school around, you said you graduated in 64? Mm-hmm. What was high school life like? Kind of like adolescence, post-puberty. How do you reflect back on that? Uh, well, d- just... Uh, you know, just you have these certain set of people that you go to school with, that you associate with, and um, so uh, the thing that uh, that strikes me as uh, you know different then is that there, uh, as far as places, there were no fast foods, of course. Right. That was the Dairy Queen. There was Dairy Queen in Columbia. Dairy Queen in Columbia, and uh, and then there was one restaurant. On on uh, on top of the hill, and uh, but that was it. Everybody would have would have dinners at home. They would have lunch at home, a breakfast, uh, dinner, supper at home, and there was no. Everybody now is, just gets fast food. Right. But the difference is when I was growing up. Uh, I can't recall any. Well, I have, we had one fat boy in our class and one fat girl, uh, and you know we weren't mean to them, but they, you know they, we they stood out. Fat, fat, yeah, stood, they stood out. Now, uh, if you look at the people around here, everybody's fat. Ninety percent of them. Yeah, that, 
I, I went to the grocery store yesterday, and actually that kind of drew my attention as well. Right. I, the girls, I say, I say, have that Columbia look. <laughs> uh, but one of my friends said they uh, that dog tick look. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not good. But it seems like you're taking steps to address that and kind of mitigate that happening to yourself. You seem pretty disciplined about your well. I'm I'm Hell. I'm not you know uh, after I got married from hospital all that uh, I mean I I was away for thirty years so right you know so I mean I didn't necessarily take up on the habits of local people <laughs> right um, you escaped a little bit yeah mm-hmm. um, what was your so let's talk about in high school what was your first let's talk, well let's go to social because you kind of touched on that a little bit um, what was your social life like in high school. Uh, I had a good time. Now, uh, the um, the only thing that was different is that I didn't. Uh, well, I put say I wasn't encouraged to go out with girls. Okay. Uh, and it just kind of it wasn't anything specific. I just knew that I shouldn't do that. And where was that directive coming from? Uh, that's from my mother. Okay. And um, so uh, they didn't want me associated with any uh, uh, girls. And but and I remember uh, my mother saying, we're, "We're me, and my mom, and my dad. We're the only ones you'll ever need." Wow. Do you think that was their expectation for your entire life that they wanted you to like live in their oh, I, house and be their little boy for your entire life? I live in my house, but uh, they uh, definitely uh, needed to uh, let me know that I needed them. Right. Mm-hmm. They wanted. Do you think they wanted? They were trying to like instill a sense of dependence on them. Well, I'll put it this way. Um, let's just talk about. Uh, you don't have to be politically correct. You can no, speak freely. No, no, no. Well, what I'm thinking, I'm just trying to think this through. For instance, like uh, for uh, my junior senior prom, I didn't. Well, I'll put it this way: my cousin Catherine and Monroe, who is about my age, uh, was selected to be my date for the prom. Wow! So you had to go to the prom with your cousin. Mm-hmm. I was. I mean, that was just. It, she was selected for me. Yeah, I think I remember you saying that the last interview. But then during the senior prom, didn't your band get to play? Yeah, I played uh, for for my senior prom, so I, that that didn't get to be. <laughs> uh, but like uh, like when my friends and I would go out, uh, you know, in, in high school or whatever, on Friday, Saturday night. Uh, wherever we were, or at the Dairy Queen or whatever, I would look over behind my shoulder, and there was my mom and dad watching over me. Wow! So they, they would like they would show up. They would more or less follow me wherever I went. So they would follow you to like hanging out with their friends. I don't know. I mean, and even when I was playing in the band. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, my drummer would say, hey, uh, your parents over there. Wow. Uh, so, uh, but I, I think the, uh, just going a, a, a little bit further, uh, uh, when uh, uh, 
Preston's mom and I were, were thinking about getting married, uh, I said, uh, I said, knew that was going to be a, uh, oh, I, I didn't even want to think about it, what, what the consequences would be. So what, what uh, Julia and I did, uh, I was... Uh, Julia being your first uh, wife. Right. This was after I was in business in, in Monroe and everything, so I was about 30 years old. But um, uh, there was a trade show, that a music trade show that I needed, we were going to in Chicago. So she and I uh, stopped in Nashville uh, on the way to Chicago. Uh, and my friend Doug, who was a seminary student, uh, married us uh, there. It had to be in a funeral home. <laughs> so you eloped of sorts. Was uh, that? I guess you say that. And then, but the problem then is, how in the world am I going to break this news to my folks? Uh, because I knew there would be it wasn't going to be good. What, what was that the plan, or she gotten pregnant? Why no, was no, that? no, no. We, we, you know, we just, uh, you know, at some point we, you know, decided we wanted to be married. But uh, I knew there was going to be a, you know, I didn't know what the consequences would be for me. Right. So your mom was it primarily? Let's talk about that. How would you describe your relationship with your parents growing up? Uh. Well. Um, I was con- uh, they were constantly criticizing about everything. Very critical. Very critical. And then I remember the real, we took a 10 a vaca- day vacation to Colorado, New Mexico and Colorado in a car. And then I was subject to be confined with them in a car for 10 days. One criticism, one criticism from my mom, one from my dad, one from my mom, one from my dad, and then when I got when we got back, I was really sick. I mean, I I I didn't know what was wrong. I was really sick. So, uh, like physically ill, uh, mentally uh, ill. I I didn't know. I felt physically ill, but uh, they took me to the doctor, and he gave me. he gave me tranquilizers. Oh, wow. And they, then after that, uh, he's, and I don't know what the conversation between the doctor, my mama, and, and dad were, but they said, uh, my mom says, well, he wants you to see uh, uh, this doctor in Monroe, a specialist. And uh, I said, what kind of specialist? And, and she thought, well, he's a diagnostician. A diagnostician. What is that? I said, I didn't know. Sounds very cryptic. I, I didn't know that he's a diagnostician. And, but, so my dad was instructed. So my mom would instruct my dad to do things. My, my, my dad was instructed to take me to the diagnostician. So, uh, and it was somewhere in uh, North Side of Monroe. Uh, North Second, Third, Fourth Street, in the residential district. But uh, I remember uh, my dad circling the office three or four times, and then uh, after we located the office, he parked. He parked about four or five blocks away, and uh, we walked back uh, to the office. 
I, I said, why, why are you parking so far away? My dad said, oh, well, we need to exercise. So uh, anyhow, we walked into the diagnostician and, and, and it turned out to be a psychiatrist. So, uh, Richard, did you suspect at the time like you're, he was driving around in circles because he was hesitant to bring you there? Uh, well, he didn't want to. He, he didn't want to be seen going to a psychiatrist. Uh, no, so he parked about five blocks away. And we walked. So we sat in the office. And I remember my dad was really nervous, you know, waiting. And, and finally, uh, finally. After a few minutes, he said, uh, we need to go. So he took me by my hand, and we, we left. He, he didn't, it was too much for him. So you never went and saw the psychiatrist? Huh? You never, so you never no, even I saw No, I saw the diagnostician. <laughs> the diagnostician. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you around that time? So the, the I Colorado was, I trip? Was about, I guess maybe uh, 10. And then around the same age when you went to see the diagnostician? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was after that because, I mean, I was I literally, after spending 10 days in, in confining the car of my parents, constant criticism, I, I, was, I was just a nervous wreck. What were they criticizing a 10-year-old about? I, I can't, I can't, I, I tend to block things out because, you know, right. I, I don't even, even know, but it was... Whatever. I you remember it was not an enjoyable trip. It was not an enjoyable trip. When you came back, this is interesting because I'm not sure how much you know about my mental health history, but right around that same age, right around 10 years old, right around 5th grade, 6th mm-hmm. grade, I started to develop really bad obsessive compulsive disorder. Right. And it was really bad middle school through high school all the way up until my sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about incapacitating to the point where I couldn't read a book, I couldn't put tie my shoes, those sorts of things, to the point where uh, there were points in middle school or high school where I contemplated taking my own life. Yeah. Because it was, I didn't feel like you I was in You control. couldn't take anymore. I couldn't and, control and my own so mind. My, my symptoms, I guess, if I had to say anything, I was dizzy, uh, uh, which means I was anxious, uh, uh, extreme anxiety. Right. And, and uh, but it, I'm sure that's, it's related. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are my father, so it seems yeah, like that and, might be a genetic thing. Very well be. Do you remember exhibiting any like symptoms like that? Like, did you have any OCD behaviors, like having to check things? Oh, or? I'm not sure I did. I'm sure I did. And, and um, but um, yeah, I've been I've been diagnosed OCD. You have as well. Uh-huh. Okay. But it, it's you know it's suppressed now. You don't have you don't experience no, any symptoms. I, not that I know of. I'm sure. <laughs> not that I know of, but it's not. But like so, because sometimes it can manifest itself in a good way. Like you're pretty disciplined about waking up and going to the gym and things like that, and maintaining mm-hmm. a routine. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, in my adulthood, having I've seen psychologists and I've seen psychiatrists. Um, I've done my best, and it, obviously I'm a work in progress. Uh, but I've done my best to try to turn what was very much a negative, the OCD, mm-hmm. throughout mm-hmm. my life into, into something positive. Well, see, it's all in, in the, the decisions you make. Uh, like, if I don't get up in the morning, the first thing I do, go to the gym, it's not going to get done. Right. I mean, I just, I do it because I have to be structured or it won't ever happen. Right. Um, uh, like, you know, with Breston's different. He said, I can't do that. I have to wait until I feel like doing it in order to, to go. 
No, we need to get him in that same routine. Uh, but no, he doesn't like it. I've tried him many times. I said, look, you need to make a list. This is what you do at this time. Just like you're going to class. You know, right. you have a class at 10 or one at uh, 1.30. This is what you do at 10 o'clock. And do it every day. You just have to change your habits. Or, uh, you know, I have to set a schedule uh, and put things down. Or things just don't get done. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm the same way, man. This is why I want to do this interview. It's because I've never really known you my whole life. So it's crazy to hear you have similar traits. Yeah. Like, I'm the exact same way. Yeah. I, when I'm my healthiest and when I'm my best mm-hmm. is when I'm very, mm-hmm. when I have a very strict routine. And it starts, I laid the foundation for my day mm-hmm. with physical fitness in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, something healthy and nutritious to eat. And that lays the foundation for me for a successful day and ultimately a successful life. Well, uh, same with me on, 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 on my eating schedule. And I uh, See, I used to be where I would skip breakfast, I would skip lunch, and then just get to work myself until every, once everything was done, then I'd have a huge meal to reward myself. Right. But uh, I went I went to, to a class, it was a lady uh, in, in town who's husband was a doctor and he she had a health health wellness class uh-huh. and, and the, uh, the, the the thing about it was the first thing breakfast is your most important meal mm-hmm. you have to have a good breakfast and then you have to have a good lunch and then you have you know you're not so hungry uh, at you know later on so uh, but the purpose of the class it was uh, was weight loss or just general health and I guess I lost 30 pounds. I'm just changing my habits. Oh, wow. When was this? Oh, four or five years ago. Yeah, because I remember you being bigger. You yeah, seem yeah. more fit now. Yeah, and uh, see, see, Breston is a normally skinny kid. Yeah, oh, yeah, I remember. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was an athletic kid back in the day. Yeah, and, but the thing about it, he, he doesn't make good choices. Right. And also, you know, there's complicating factors with his mm-hmm. mental health and things mm-hmm. like that as well. But yeah, I would like to see, I would like to work with him on, mm-hmm. on developing more of a routine and healthy habits, honestly. Well, see, and another thing that concerns me uh, about him in particular is that his mom was, was skinny, it's about Caroline's size. And, uh, thin. Yeah, thin. But uh, then uh, after she started having uh, mental issues, uh, uh, she, uh, uh, you know, after we were divorced and all, she ended up being, I guess, between four and four and five hundred pounds. Wow, because she was, and we'll get to your relationship with your first wife, Julia, who you're speaking of now in a little bit. But she was, from what I understand, like beautiful. Oh, she was a model. She was yeah. a model. She was. I, I, I put it this way: when we would get, when we'd be traveling. And uh, we'd be in a crowd and anything. When, when she'd go by, people would turn their heads. Right. And she would make people do double takes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, you told some story about, uh, like, I guess when you were working with Specialty Sound and going out to the Academy Awards and uh, someone pulling her aside. To no, I tell you, we, were, we were at a, a party uh, in, in, in Beverly Hills for... Uh, 
MCA Records, and uh, all of their artists were there, Jimmy Buffett, uh, Steely Dan, Levy Newton John. Uh, but it was Levy Newton John, they were, I mean, they were identical twins. It looked exactly like Levy Newton John. So, yeah, so Billboard magazine took, took pictures of them about which one is Olivia. Oh, so took a picture of the, of the two of them side by side? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then which, put it in Billboard magazine? Mm-hmm. Which one is Olivia? With the caption, <laughs> which one is Olivia? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's incredible. We need to find that picture. Um, okay, so let's go back chronologically. So, doesn't sound like, so would you, doesn't sound like it was the most harmonious relationship with your parents growing up then. Uh, well, I didn't, see, I was the only one, so I didn't know any better. I that's just, right. I was assuming that was normal. You were, you were an only child. Mm-hmm. So you didn't know any different. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any different. And it wasn't like you had neighbors right next door, like no, you not growing up. No, I could compare and, with or anything like that. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, I didn't know any better. Do you still harbor resentment towards your parents in the way you were raised? I can't really say. Um, um, let's see. I, I was trying to think of something I wrote one time. Um, uh, oh well, I, I guess talking about when when my after my mom dad died, later on my dad died. You know, uh, people say, well, you know, you don't know how you're going to feel when you lose a parent. Uh, and I, this was after my mom died. Uh, and I said I wasn't sad and I wasn't glad. It just didn't matter to me one way or the other. It was just a fact. Mm-hmm. And then after my dad died, it, uh, uh, I said, well, I'm not glad, uh, I'm not sad either. It just didn't matter to me one way or the other. You were indifferent about the passing of both your parents? Uh, well, I didn't mean to be, but that that's what happened. That's how you felt? Mm-hmm. But I didn't intend, intentionally fee, uh, mean to feel that way. Yeah. It's just the way it was. It's just your natural emotion. Wow. That's good to know. Um, okay, so let's go... Oh, academically in high school. How were you academically throughout school, throughout your, you know, first through twelfth grade? How did you do academically? I just... I, did, I literally, I didn't need to go to school. I, everything that was presented to me, I knew already. Was that... It was amazing. Well, well, where did that come from? Did you I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I know I learned uh, I learned to read by the time I was about two and a half, and I, uh, I, I knew I think I was fascinated with astronomy, and I knew all everything about the solar system and everything by the time I was three. I, I don't know. Neither one of my parents are, are uh, you know I don't get it from either one of them. They didn't provide any instruction to you or anything. You didn't no. have any other tutoring. No, no, no. I didn't need it. Uh, and, and up, 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 about the seventh grade or so, and I started to learn things coming like algebra and things like that that I've never been exposed to right. that I had to you know learn just like anybody else. But anything else up until the seventh grade already knew. Right. So like the ba- the foundations of academia, right? So like mm-hmm. reading, writing, basic arithmetic, mm-hmm. basic science principles of science. You you knew. All right. So you could have started in eighth grade. You've been I pretty good. <laughs> um, so then, what happened? Well, let's go back. I think music and 
was clearly a major influence in your life, not only as a musician to begin with, Mm -hmm. but then later on you developed that as a business practice Mm -hmm. outside of actually playing music. Mm -hmm. Uh, When did your um, involvement with music and the development of that passion start? Well, when I was a kid, uh, I I guess maybe uh, old grade school or whatever, they used to advertise uh, uh, like... uh, Ham and organ. Well, they had a had a thing, you know, some kind of ham and organ that was easy to play or whatever. And they 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 whatever deal it was, and Monroe said, "Okay, we'll um, we'll send one out to your home for two weeks, no strings attached." So finally, I got my my folks to to have one sent over. That's great. And I said, I, I'll I'll learn to play that thing in two weeks. I, I mean, I had the best time of my life. Self taught. Huh? Self-taught? Well, it's one. It's, it's one of the. It's called. It was called a Hammond chord order, where you it would play the chords for you. I mean, it was basically a very simplified way of playing a keyboard, an organ. Okay. Back for the time. Okay. And uh, but anyhow, after the after the, uh, I said, man, this is great. I'm. I really. This is what I really want to do. But then. Uh, my folks had it sent back. They wouldn't let me keep it. Even though you were clearly enjoying it. Yeah. They said I need to get out. It was that, well. They said it's it's just a sissy thing to do. You need to get outside and play. Wow. So, uh, how much of this like? What's the word for it? Like almost vitriol. It seems like was coming from your mom versus your dad. Tell me if I'm wrong, but it, in this, in my conversations with you prior a couple years ago, and then also with my siblings, Breston, Caroline, and Hugh Jr., Bubba, mm-hmm. it seems like Mimi, your mom, my grandfather, mm-hmm. was more of the uh, domineering figure as opposed to your father, Papa. Was yeah, that uh, the case? It was my mom who initiated whatever it is, and she was then then instruct my dad what action needed to be taken. So your mom was kind of setting the tone and then using your and dad as she, like he, he was the vehicle to get it done. Wow. Wow. Um, okay. Well, so then you started learning, I guess, in grade school music, and then you got a band together by the time high or in well, during high school? Well, I played in the high school band. High school band, yeah, like typical. And, yeah, and then I, I, I would really like uh, in the band. I, I, I did arrange, band arrangements and stuff. Uh, I like to you know write music and, and do arrangements. So, but anyhow, when I was, uh, I guess a senior in high school, um, make a long story short, just got, just got a, 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 a band together, and this was before. You know, this was back in the early sixties. Early sixties, before music really started to happen. You know, for rock and roll, bro. Well, yeah, for rock and roll. So, but anyhow, we had, we had a good time. And then when I got into college, we, uh, I was very fortunate to, to get. Uh, I went to school in Monroe. Well, I had a, I had a couple of scholarships. Uh, went to Tulane and went to University of. 
Well, so let's hop onto that more specifically. So we'll, we'll we'll tie in the band stuff too. So you got you got the band together in high school. Y'all were, y'all played at the senior prom things like that. Mm-hmm. You're playing, mm-hmm. I guess, covers of popular songs at the time. Oh yeah, that's how. Yeah. Okay. And, and then, what were your prospects once you graduated high school? You, what were you thinking about doing with your life? Well, what were your college I, I prospects? Had, uh, I had two or three scholarships: one to the University of Michigan, one to Tulane, and one to. Maybe LSU. I don't remember what it was. It's for academics, for music, a, 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 academic. Well, both. Okay. Both. both. So uh, during that summer year, uh, my my mom, well, whatever my hope said. Well, look, uh, you need to start in Monroe at, at, at Northeastern Monroe, which is now the uh, University yeah, of you, Monroe. Yeah, you. you uh, what what it was. Uh, you don't need to be that far away from us, right? So I, uh, that's what happened there. But then the thing that kind of precipitated it was the uh, fact that I was very lucky to get four of the people who were just really good musicians. Just I mean, it was like you know, just really good luck. And we had a really, really good band. And this this was the time when you can imagine all the bands around. But in the state of Louisiana, there were only five bands, and we were one of them. One of them. Only five bands. So we played uh, we played seven states: uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida. Wow. And, and uh, so uh, we will try. We we even um, if we play Friday and Saturday night, we, a lot of times we would have to charter our plane to go to one place and then fly to the next place. And the guy driving our truck would just have to drive on up, drive the equipment. Yeah, uh-huh. and uh, but we had a great time. But see, that's really the reason I never left uh, to pursue any other schools because we were so we we on a roll. Right. So once the band started being successful, it was like, all right, I got to stay here. And yeah. Yeah. No, here. I mean, we had, I mean, not having the best time of my life. And uh, so, <clears throat> but then, I, I don't know what, of course, my parents didn't like it, but the, the thing with girls immediately changed. Right. Uh, you got a successful band. I'm sure uh, there's a lot of female options around. Oh, you just don't know. Uh, <laughs> Alex, you just don't know. You just take. What you do, you just take you take your pick out of who you want. All right, and that's all you did. That's all you did, and uh, it was really good time. <laughs> it must have been a fun time. Mm-hmm. So, were you in college at the time? Were you still enrolled at ULM? Oh, or at oh absolutely. We uh, we only play on the weekends. Okay, so you take class during the week, mm-hmm. and then either hop on the bus, truck, the or plane, hop on yeah. the plane during the weekends. Do Friday and Saturday. Be back on Sunday for school the next week. Who were these guys you were playing with? They were they from Columbia, from Monroe? No, 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 no I think uh, our, our guitar player was from Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, organ player from Shreveport. Uh, uh, so it was a drummer, and our singer was uh, was from Memphis. But they were all going to school uh, at, at college, at the same place. Oh, at Northeast. Mm-hmm. So y'all all went to school together. Right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so, do you have any stories from that time that you'd not, like to not, share? Not really. I say, 
Well, I, I think... Or general general stories? Well, with these people with the, that are getting arrested, uh, like Harvey Weinman or whatever, Weinstein, yeah. I, I'm glad, I, I don't know. But uh, see, the thing about the attitude about stuff like that was, was so different then. Right. It was a whole lot different. Uh, one, I think... Gosh, I remember uh, one time uh, I was, we were playing the state fair in Shreveport, and uh, I found out this little girl uh, wanted to go back, wanted to, to go with us, go back home with us, uh, and we, we did, and uh, Oregon playing Ireland uh, together uh, at, at that time. She wanted to come back to Monroe with us. Oh, yeah, she, she wanted to come back to Monroe with us. So, really good looking little girl. So, um, yeah, I didn't have a problem with that. And so, what she stayed was about three or four days. And then, for some reason, we, uh, we said, you know, you, you, you we're going to put you on the bus back to Freeport. Because, I just didn't feel right about it for some reason. And then when we got back, uh, when we got back to the apartment, the police were knocking on our door with the girl's father. And it seemed like the uh, the girl was 14 years old. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Dang. Dangerous time. Mm -hmm. There's no Facebook back then to check to verify who she was. No, no, no. Somewhere we were in Arkansas one night. Somehow, when we were about to leave, the cops were ready for us. But I don't know what the deal uh, was there. Uh, and then one time, we had uh, a guy from we had played uh, an Air Force base uh, in Biloxi, and um, all of these things involved girls. But anyhow, when we got the next week, we had a got uh, a. A visit from an FBI agent. Um, something about uh, the girl. I mean, it, it involved federal stuff. So, but I mean, we didn't do anything, and no one, no one. But I mean, we just had several just kind of weird calls, all, all, all because of girls. Right. But you know, when you're when you're playing, and you get through, and you have all these chicks just saying, hey, we want to go with you or, or whatever. And you, you take, you decide which one you want and just take them. And you don't, not too much logic right. is involved there. Right. Especially as a, what, at the time? I, you just, I mean, it's done, I think, done at the spur of the moment. And, and the thing about it, uh, like I say, things were a whole lot, I mean, the, 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 the atmosphere was just a whole lot different then. I mean, not... You know, people don't criticize or not criticize so much then or any any then as 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 people are now. Right. For doing stuff. Right. So it definitely seems like your life changed a whole lot coming from this super overprotective Mimi and Papa Columbia lifestyle. A whole lot. You got to ULM, you get a successful band. Your life doesn't want 80, and you're right. spreading your wings. I am. I am having a great time. Was that kind of some of the fondest times of your life? Uh, among among those, yeah. Did it ever feel like it was too much? 
No. No? Mm-hmm. What was the, if you don't mind getting into it, what was the drug situation like back then? This is now oh, like it, mid to late uh, 60s, right? Well, it was uh, a lot of psych- psychedelics. I never did a drink like smoke pot, but I had LSD and opium and anything. I mean, whatever you, I never, I didn't like needles, so I didn't, you know, no heroin I never did anything like that. But I mean, it was, that was, it's totally accepted. So but you're never a big pot guy? Never a big weed guy? No. Huh. That's interesting. No. Uh, but, you know, it, but everything was totally okay. Right. It didn't didn't matter. Right. So, but there was plenty of partying going on. Yeah. Plenty of drinking. Well, see, in the band, in the band, if I'm already a party. Right. You know, and, you know, when you're playing. Right. So what years was that? You got to ULM in 64. How long did the band stay oh, together? Oh, I probably, uh, so 64, we played so many years. Seven years, so 64 to... 771, maybe. What, and when did you graduate ULM? Or at uh, Probably 71. It probably took me seven years to get through the <laughs> Right. What'd you study? What'd you end up well, getting a degree in? Well, I started in physics, but I, then I... Well, then... Another story. I, I I got into business, and I've never I didn't even know how to balance a checkbook. So I, then I started taking business courses, and, and my first degree was in marketing. Okay, mm-hmm. your first degree from ULM was in marketing. And marketing. Yeah. So yeah, let's get into the business. You, especially sound, right? Mm-hmm. Was the business that you started? Mm-hmm. Was this at the same time you were in the band? Okay. <clears throat> let me let me give you a yeah. Give me that story. Uh, okay. Back then, uh, we all had to. If you wanted to buy a guitar or something like that, there was really one sort that was Sears and Roebuck. Okay. The Sears and Roebuck catalog. Okay. So that's where my first uh, instrument came from, Sears and Roebuck. And then, but music stores at the time, there were only two kinds of music stores: either a piano and organ dealer, or a band instrument dealer that sold. Trumpets and clarinets and things like that. Traditional stuff. No, no, nothing where you could go in and buy a guitar or anything like it. Matter of fact, uh, either the piano and organ dealer, people with coats and ties, you know, like funeral directors, or the banishment dealer really want to cater to uh, a long haired type. Right. And that because that. Didn't look good. Right. Didn't come into the store. Right. So, can I actually uh, move the foot okay. off the table? Yeah, I'm yeah. Trying to pick that uh, up. So, I'm trying to think. So we, the band, kind of just uh, all of us uh, needed to improve. Uh, you know, get new instruments, whatever. Um, and this is kind of the store in itself. Uh, Somehow, this was when the Beatles were just starting out, and they used uh, guitar uh, used guitar amplifiers called Vox V O X, made in England, and they were distributed in the United States by the Thomas Organ Company in California. Mm-hmm. So somehow, I got in touch with the Thomas Organ Company, and didn't really lie to them. I just said I. Uh, I'm interested in carrying your line mm-hmm. of, 
of, of box amplifiers. And uh, I was sitting in the dorm uh, northeast at the time. So one day I get a call uh, saying, this is so-and-so with the Thomas Horton Company um, at the Monroe Airport. I'm looking in the phone directory for your business and I can't find it. Can you give me directions? So I nearly freaked out. You're, in the, you're living in the dorm. I'm living in the dorm. So, uh, so after I gave him a composure, I said, well, look, let me meet you at the airport. So I did, and I just leveled with the guy. I said, "Look, I'm in a, I'm in a band, and I'm a, I was just uh, I was just trying to get get some of your stuff." And believe it or not, he was really uh, really cool about it. Seen about see, he 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 represented Thomas Oregon, but Thomas Oregon was was set, also were distributing the, the Vox guitars and amplifiers. See, none of his dealers, none of his piano and organ dealers wanted to touch the stuff uh, because of the clientele it would draw. So, uh, and he had a quota uh, to set up so many dealers and he couldn't, couldn't want to have any luck doing it. So he, he said, look, I'll work with you. If you can find a place to, to rent or something like this, just a hole in the wall, I'll, I'll work with you and, and get you set up. So that's how that happened. Um, that was the origin of Specialty Sound. No, it wasn't Specialty Sound. Uh, we were dealing with a, a little, a little electronic parts house where we'd buy microphones and, and things like that. So they let me set up. They gave me a corner of, the, of their store to let me set up some of my stuff. Because it would bring in people that would buy things of that. So I did... Uh, I. I did that. Not, that was uh, called CNO Electronics. So I call myself CNO Music Company. So I did that uh, for a, a year or so. Then uh, is this your freshman year? Like, are you? Uh, no, no. I, I was. Uh, I was actually uh, a sophomore in college. So you were nineteen, twenty years and old. Nineteen years old. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I did that, and then. Uh, when we'd play at golf and play on the weekend, I had a, a friend who would, you know, watch the shop. So that uh, uh, that went okay for a few months, and I had to move into another location. Uh, <clears throat> so it was going well. Uh, yeah, it was going real well. And then, uh, see what happened. Then that location, then after a couple of years, that location got, they said, okay, you got 30 days, you need to move. Uh, we're selling the building or something. So we eventually built our, our store that exists now in 1971. Okay, so right around the time you graduated. Especially sound as we know it. So uh, the uh, another interesting thing that my, I said about guitar, guitar player was from Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, his brother, David, was going to Mississippi State, and <clears throat> his roommate there was a guy named Parker Peavy, who today builds, has Peavy Electronics, so, uh, from Meridian, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyhow, uh, my guitar player said, look, you need to really see some, uh, look at some of these uh, amplifiers that Hart is building, and... 
yeah, so anyhow, uh, I became P- the first dealer ever for PV Electronics. Wow, and that's PV like the first dealer. And they're the largest manufacturer in the world now. Now they are? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. At Marie, Mississippi. And I was their first dealer. Wow. But also, uh, while I was in college, I guess, about 71, I guess, uh, I was selected at Louisiana's Businessman of the Year. Oh, yeah. Tell that story. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I don't know. That just happened. I don't think I tried. It wasn't anything that I did. It just happened. And uh, the, I guess the bank that I was dealing with, they could nominate people uh, to be through the Small Business Administration to nominate customers. So, anyhow, they chose me. What year was that? I was in college. Oh, wow. So, that was when I was in college. So you Louisiana Small Business of the Year while being a college student, mm-hmm. while playing in the band. Playing in the band. Wow. What was the band's name? Uh, we went to Excuses. What What did you? What was your role in the band? I played the bass guitar. Played bass guitar. And so the Small Businessman of the Year. What 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 did What did that entail? Like it was. Oh, it, it was pretty good. You got a trip to the White House. And, oh wow! Mm-hmm, and things like that. Did you meet the president? Mm-hmm. Who was president at the time? Uh, Jimmy Carr. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Probably not your biggest, your yeah. favorite president. Yeah, my sister's. I, don't know. I didn't know any better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Georgia boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's my my younger sister, your daughter Morgan's favorite president. But I don't know how big of a fan people in Louisiana were of that guy. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. All right, so let's pick it up there then. So, Louisiana Small Business of the Year while you're in college. Um, you graduate college in '71. Kind of wrapped the band up in '71. Now, around that time, early '70s, you are doing what your business well, now well, is. Now, well, well, see, we started just doing guitars and amplifiers, and the business is now is formalized as specialty sound. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, guitars and amplifiers, and we were, in other words, we filled a niche in the music industry that a piano and organ dealer and a Banners for dealer didn't, so we were a unique kind of new store. Matter of fact, we were the only store of its kind between Atlanta and Dallas, and between New Orleans and Memphis. Wow. So we had a huge amount of uh, customers from all the rest of the company. Right, you had the South covered. Yeah, and, and we, we had every, uh, I mean, yeah, all the manufacturers come to us, uh, Gibson, Fender, it didn't matter, Martin, Guitars, everybody wanted us to be, to represent them. So we, we had every, we represented every, probably every line of musical instruments, uh, guitars and amplifiers that were. So that was the business model at the time, you were retailing musical equipment. Yeah, and then that evolved. Uh, that evolved because um, the um, I'm trying to think how we got into it. Uh, Capitol Records uh, somehow the salesman for Capitol Records, uh, Bill Newsom from uh, from Memphis, came into our store one day and and he said he we got to talk and he said hey you ought to let me say you some records and tapes and so I did and then at the same time I said well we can 
I could do the same with, same thing with Columbia and RCA and everybody. So I got hooked up with all the major record labels, and we we became the biggest record in record dealer in anywhere. I mean, I guess in in the same region that you just in referenced. the region, yeah. And then almost at the same time, <laughs> then I get people uh, coming in. This was like before stereo systems, as we know. It came about. A stereo system with a big piece of furniture like that, with a record player and big speakers. And, but now they were coming out with uh, a company called Pioneer, US Pioneer, were coming out with receivers and turntables and cassette decks or whatever, and speakers and everything. So uh, the guy from US Pioneer wanted us to represent them, and you know, it's completely different from musical instruments. So we did. Got in, got. Uh, so we started selling uh, really good high fi, uh, stereo and high fi equipment. So, so this is a lucrative business at the time. Uh, well, I mean, we just we were the first. See, the thing about it, we were just lucky. We were the first to get into the guitars and amplifiers. We were the first to get into the records, and we were the first dealer anywhere that sold premium stereo equipment. So uh, uh, we just had to be at the right place at the right time. Fair enough. And what year did you meet your first wife, the mother of your? Oh uh, well, okay. Uh, I was interviewing her to be a, a singer for a band. Uh, probably you were auditioning her to be a singer for the band. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd say probably around uh, nineteen sixty-eight, uh, something like that. Nineteen sixty-eight. Mm-hmm. And then, what point did y'all start dating? Oh, well, uh, you know, just immediately after that. Okay. Yeah. And I think, uh, I'm not sure what year you got married. Uh, uh, you know, it's early 70s sometimes, 72, something like that. And then you had your first kid, Hugh Jr., in, in, colloquially known as Bubba or Bub, uh, in 78. 78. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and did you ever, like... Did you want to have kids? Was that ever your plan to have kids? Well, Did she want to have no, kids? No, I think probably we were married 12 years or so before we had any, any kids. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, she, she, she was actually involved in the business too, so we were really busy people. So yeah, so 68 through 78, that 10 year span, the, the first part of it, you're still in the band and in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you guys get married, and then so then together you're operating the store? Yeah, along with about... 20 other people. Oh, wow. So you had 20 employees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you guys were living in Monroe full-time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Bub was born in 78. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Caroline, your second child, was and born... 18, 18 months later. 18 months later. So and then... Uh, back uh, to back. Then Bruxton 18 months later that. Oh, so back to back to back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how did that change life once the uh, kids came in? Not much. Uh, we... See, we travel a lot, and uh, we would probably, uh, we'd probably, well, not only for, for conventions and, and trade shows and stuff like that, but we, every, once a month, we try to take a trip to Jamaica or, or uh, you know, just some, some nice trip about once a month. Just the two of you? Mm-hmm. And then, then we started taking the kids with us. So, uh, I mean, you know, they were really good kids. Uh, we didn't have a problem with them. 
when they were when they were young kids, you things were going smooth. No, they were just really good kids. They were just like adults. Um, and then, at what point did things start going south with Julia, your first wife? Uh, after uh, after uh, probably uh, Caroline was born. And it wasn't. Were there any marital issues, or no, was it no, just no, her no, mental no, health no, started no, no, slipping? No. She's my best friend, so I mean, no, no, no. She just started having mission. Um, and then uh, when uh, by the time Breslin was born, she wouldn't even admit that she was pregnant. When Breslin, when she was pregnant with Breslin, mm-hmm. so, I mean, even when going into the delivery room, she uh, she she wouldn't even admit she was pregnant. Wow! So she had. Really started to lose it at yeah, that point. Yeah. What do you remember about that time? I ain't doing good at all. Yeah, because this is your best friend, the person That's you were in love with. Mm-hmm. Do you well, remember? Was there a precipitating event, or no, it just happened? It just happened. And then, how long after that? So, Breslin was born in eighty-two. No, eighty-one. Eighty-one. Mm-hmm. How long after that did she have to be admitted to a psychiatric uh, hospital? Probably uh, within that year. Wow. Just because her behavior is becoming so erratic? Yeah. What do you remember about her behavior at that time? I don't want to talk thing about it. But it was cruelly that she needed help. Yeah, really bad. So then you were left with the three kids on your own all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And you were living in Monroe at the time? Monroe, right. How long did you have the kids in Monroe by yourself? Oh, probably a couple years. Until you met my mom, uh, I did. But see, uh, now this this is something positive. My mom and dad were so close. N- now I I did need them to help me. Right. I did need them because you had three kids all of a sudden by yeah, yourself. I mean, they didn't mind. They just loved loved that, so they were okay. But I, I will interject this when I one. Uh, uh, one problem I had with my mom and dad, when I got my business, they would come up and uh, at my store, well, and wouldn't leave. They would just stay there. And, Both of them? Uh, right, and they would stay there. Mom would come up, put on a little sales uh, clerk smock, and, and, uh, or if she wasn't there, she would deposit. She would deposit my dad there to be there all day. <laughs> and uh, I'd say, "Please leave. You need us. You need us. So you just don't realize it." <laughs> so you appreciated their help with the kids, but not so much with the business. You had that covered. <laughs> Was the business still doing well around that yeah, time? Yeah. Um, did the did Lou did having to. Your wife having to be institutionalized did that well, affect her? No, 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 no. See, uh, when they uh, when when my parents were coming up, that was before Judy was in the picture. So this was this was when I was first getting started, first couple of years. Okay, so prior to the kids. Mm-hmm. I know you don't want to go into detail, but what was the official Julia's official diagnosis? Uh, I really don't know. Uh, her, her mother was schizophrenic, so. Uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've heard so many things. I can't really, really bipolar. Or, you know, you know. I don't think anybody really did. Right, and she ended up being institutionalized for the rest of her life mm-hmm. until 2010 when she well, passed. Well, yeah, she she ended up going into a nursing home, and uh, like I said, she was between four and five hundred pounds. 
So you got to have, you know, well, you know, how you, how you deal with somebody that big. Right. How What was her age related compared to you? Was she older or younger? Uh, she was like, uh, I think, three or four years. Uh, she's five years different, younger than me. Okay. So talk about that time. That must have been a challenging time then after she had to be hospitalized and you have the kids and the business by yourself. What do you remember about that time? Were your parents well, playing a big role? it wasn't really that big of a deal. I, I, I would take the kids today to, to the, uh, the, the Methodist Church in Monroe had a had daycare. Uh, so I'd just take the three kids, drop them off before I went to work in the morning, and then pick them up in the afternoon and they'd stay at my store and play until, we, until it was time to go home. Did they have school, like... School? This, no, this, this was like, uh, you know, um, maybe uh, all of them were three or four, you know. Oh, three, this is before yeah, kindergarten. Five years old. No, it wasn't school. Well, then uh, even after school started, uh, I would take Caroline and Preston to the Baptist Church and take uh, take Bubba to whatever, uh, Lexington Elementary School and right. drop him off. So, right. And pick them up in the afternoon and they'd play at the store. So that's a good segue then, because isn't it at the Methodist Church where they were going to daycare? Isn't that where that's you where met my mom? Exactly. What do you remember about meeting my mom? Well, she was really helpful with my kids. I mean, I would, I, I would, uh, she would actually help me with the kids. So I mean, uh, she was a really big help for me. Was she teaching Sunday school at the uh, time? She, I think she was doing Sunday school, nursery, things like that, helping with the, you know, she always liked, uh, you know, take care of little kids. Yeah, she loves children. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, all kinds of ways. Do you, what do you remember about y'all, like, initiating a romantic relationship? Do you remember, like, asking her out on a date? Uh, I, well, I, I can't really say that because we just became friends. Okay. Uh, with, you know, she would help me, and uh, so, I mean, we were just more friends. Okay. Um, and so this is, like, now mid-'80s? hmm And then my mom, at the time, had a daughter from her first marriage, mm-hmm. and that's Katie. Okay. And, and she, she was the same age as your middle Karen, daughter, Caroline. Exactly. They were good friends. Were they in school together? They were in school together. They were best friends. Okay. And so then you're my mom start dating, and my mom ends up pregnant in mm-hmm. 87 mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. And then I was born in 88 mm-hmm. at St. Francis Hospital. Mm-hmm. And then at that time, I'm assuming that was an unexpected pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And at that time, after I was born, my mom, were things not going well between the two of y'all? No, I think she, uh, your, your grandmother had uh, moved to Atlanta. Uh-huh. And so uh, she, uh, your mom um, got a job at Forsyth County Schools. Uh-huh. So. Um, In Atlanta. Or so north of Atlanta. We, we just all moved to Atlanta. Okay. So I moved to Atlanta. But y'all, so this is, I'd like to hear you chime in on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was under the impression my entire life, mm-hmm. and this is my mom just trying to paint a rosy picture for me, I think. But I was under the impression my entire life that y'all were married. But y'all weren't married when I was born or even when you moved to Atlanta, correct? You got married after? Well, n- no. I'm trying to think because we got married in New Orleans. So that would have had to have been before we moved to Atlanta. I, I, to be honest with you, 
I'd have to sit down and and and, and uh, map out that timeline because it seemed like I don't think we would have gotten married in New Orleans if we were living in Atlanta. Right. And what had been before that. But you weren't married when I was born? No. Okay. And then so you all moved to... So once I was born, my mom is now taking on like this motherly role with mm-hmm. your three kids. Mm-hmm. She had four kids. She had four kids. Mm-hmm. Well, five once mm-hmm. I was born. Mm-hmm. And then we all moved to Atlanta where my grandma was. Mm-hmm. And then you came with... Mm-hmm. What do you remember about that that Atlanta time? Uh, it was good. I, I, well, see, I've never been to, uh, uh, to, 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 you know, never lived in a big town like that. Right. It, it was that's a great time. Was it hard for you to leave your business? What was the status well, of the business I think at the time? I, I, somehow, I phased out of the business. I, I ended up selling the store to uh, one of my managers, and um, so that worked out, and. Uh, so uh, it was a good time for me. I mean, if, uh, I, I think your mom moved in Atlanta had something to do with me going ahead and uh, uh, hooking up with my manager and uh, you know take the store. So uh, it just kind of worked out. How were you earning income in Atlanta? She was working as a psychologist, right, in yeah. Forsyth. Oh, just just odds and ends. Just you know, not working for anybody. Just doing. Self-employed uh, kind of ventures. Yeah, you've never been the type to have a boss. No, no, I've never had a boss. I never worked for anybody. Although I will, quick interjection here. Can you tell the story of being the French translator? If I knew it. Oh, okay. I, I, don't I heard some story from, I guess it's from my siblings or my mom, about something to do with being a French translator or something in Louisiana, some like bizarre... I, I can't even speak French. Okay. So, uh, I don't know that story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alright, so how long were you on Atlanta? Like a year and a half? It wasn't long. It wasn't long. And then, were things just not going I, I well? Did you I, want I, to just remember, I just remember one day, uh, I packed up, I mean, I you know, had all my stuff in Atlanta, but I, the kids and I just packed up and and came to uh, came to Louisiana one day, and uh, I'm sure we went back and forth. But I mean, I remember that. But uh, I can't I can't imagine how much stuff we could have gotten in, uh, the three kids and me in a car. Right. <laughs> so you came back to Columbia to visit the grandparents. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then at that point, were you hoping that my mom would come as I, I, well? I don't even know what the, what the uh, that was sort of a cloudy part of my life. I don't even know. So I can't really say anything one way or the other there. But that was then the beginning of the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As far as your relationship with my mom was, right? Mm-hmm. And then at that time when you had taken, this is around 90, I believe, mm-hmm. you had taken the kids back here to visit their grandparents and y'all ended up just setting up shop here in Columbia. And then, at that time, my mom had gotten pregnant again, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With Morgan, mm-hmm. my younger sister, your mm-hmm. youngest child. And then Morgan ended up being born in Atlanta, and you were here at the time with I, the kids? I believe so. Okay. What was it like? That must have been just a hectic time. 
Because mm-hmm. you want really had, and that's the kind of things that that you can't remember details about. It's just kind of a, a cloudy time, right? Right. So you mu- you were back here. Um, what did you get back involved in professionally once you had left in it, left Atlanta, and then moved back here with your first three kids? Well, see, at the, at the store. Uh, we, we started getting getting into professional commercial audio sound system like for the churches and schools and stuff like that and I think probably we had at the time uh, uh, maybe 3,000 churches and schools we were doing, doing, business, doing business with and the uh, the guy I sold my store to was just doing retail he didn't he wasn't doing any uh, type of professional stuff. So I just took my client base from Spacely Sound and started doing sound systems for uh, commercial sound systems for schools and churches. So you moved out of the retail environment and into sound installation. Mm -hmm. And that's been going ever since off and on, correct? Mm -hmm. And even to this day? Matter of fact, this is our 50th year. For Spacely Sound? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. This year? Mm -hmm. Starting 68. Oh, wow. Um, so what was life like then when you're living here and me and Morgan and my mom are living in Atlanta? What, how did you envision, uh, your relationship with us and how did you think you were going to handle all that? I didn't know. I literally didn't know. (laughs) You were just kind of winging it trying to survive. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I'll say this and this is when we're going to get into like kind of emotional stuff for me. Um... Growing up, when I was a young child, the when I would talk, you know, I was it was just me and my mom, mm-hmm. and like you said, with your parents, um, you didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in a single parent household with my mom. I didn't really know any better. I was mm-hmm. had friends around. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a suburb type area, so it wasn't like I was grew up in an isolated environment right here. So obviously, I recognized that other families had both a mom and a dad, but honestly, I didn't think any different of it Mm -hmm. and I think I was incredibly fortunate that my mom was who she was Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think we can both agree she's an awesome mom she did an incredible job of raising at that time the three of us by ourselves Um, and my early conception of you the first ideas I ever had of you was my mom telling me just questions I would ask about you she always painted a very bright picture of who you were a very successful businessman, a very talented musician, a very talented uh, cook. Um, and I remember, like, I guess in those early years, probably up, you know, through elementary school, like, idolizing you, this image mm-hmm. of who you were. But to be quite honest, as I got into adolescence, middle school, high school, and college, I started, you know, becoming a young man myself. I, you know, had started to have my own romantic relationships. I uh, had my first conceptions of having my own family, and I started to develop resentment mm-hmm. because I I couldn't understand why it was that I was left alone without a father to grow up fatherless my entire life, mm-hmm. and why my mom was left in this position to raise three young kids her entire life. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, part of the reason I'm sitting down with you today to do this interview is because now that I've you know gone through my 20s, I'm now 30 years old. Um, I'm trying to turn a new page in my life. I'm trying to start a new chapter in my life. And I don't know exactly how it's happened. Um, 
but I've started to let that resentment that I once held for you as a young man has now faded away. And as I kind of now go into adulthood, I feel kind of now as a 30-year-old man is, I feel like I'm just now becoming an adult. I feel like I really was a child throughout my 20s as well in a lot of ways. But now as I'm becoming an adult, I really want to let go of that resentment. And I want to develop um, a loving relationship and get to know you and allow that resentment to fade away and allow um, genuine love and harmony to develop amongst the two of us. Um, and so that's kind of the impetus for doing these interviews. It's not only to get to know you because I never mm-hmm. got to really know your life story, which is what this part of what this is about, but also... I feel like in order for me to develop into the man that I want to be in my life and eventually the father that I genuinely want to be in my life, I want to develop a relationship with you. And I don't want any negativity or resentment to exist in my life with anyone, especially not the person who is half of who I am. <laughs> so I just want to tell you that, yes, there were periods throughout my life, you know, it's probably a, at least a decade long period through adolescence and into my early, you know, chronological adulthood where I really did harbor ill will against you. Um, Not that I wanted anything bad to happen Mm -hmm. to you, but I was angry that you weren't there Mm -hmm. to help me grow up. But I want to let you know now, that's not how I feel anymore. And that going on for the rest of my life, I really do want to try to establish, and this is part of this establishment of this relationship right now, and then hopefully nurture a relationship going forward. So I just want to lay that out on the right. table that Thank you. I would I want to I want to have more love in my life. Not appreciate that. Not, hey. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, let's continue on the story then. So, eighty-eight, uh, you move back, or I guess ninety, you move back here. Morgan is born. How has life been since then over the past uh, almost thirty years? I guess take us first through like other romantic relationships that involved. You've been married since then, correct? Mm-hmm. I have. That didn't work out. <laughs> it's kind of a story. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, um, both on my mom's side and on your side and on, I don't know how familiar you are with my mom's brothers, mm-hmm. both on the Clark side of my family and on the Youngblood side of my family, marriage has never mm-hmm. really quite worked out. Perhaps it would have worked out if Julia hadn't gotten sick between mm-hmm. the two of you, but then if it had, I never would have existed. <laughs> so maybe that was a little blessing in disguise. Um, so yeah, t- take us through if, if, in whatever detail you feel comfortable sharing, like your next romantic endeavors and your desire to get married again after my mom and things like that. Uh, I really don't want to think about it. Okay. So they weren't harmonious relationships, no, those next relationships. Do you have any desire to like, at this point in your seventies to like develop another meaningful, committed romantic relationship or are you just kind of done at this I'm point? I'm <laughs> You're reluctant. Why do you think that is? Do you think it seems like Julia might have been the only romantic relationship you ever had that might have been destined for success? Mm -hmm. Do you think the fact that it ended the way it did outside of your control in kind of a sad way has kind of influenced your other relationships going forward? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, Okay, so... Early '90s, you are you're running specialty sound. Mm-hmm. Were there any other professional endeavors that you got involved in aside from the sound installation? No, or, not really. And or things like that. No. Um, what can you tell me about how your kids, the kids that you were raising, Breston, Caroline, and Hugh Jr., 
Uh, what were their lives like once they got back here to Colombia? How did they react to being back here? Well, uh, I think they, they uh, pretty much liked it. Uh, uh, they were well taken care of by my, my parents. They had three parents, essentially, at that time. Uh, yeah, they were both here. So, uh, yeah, my, my parents took very good care of them. And uh, so, and they were good kids. So, I mean, that that's about all I can say. Yeah, so Breston, the youngest, was like in third grade, Caroline in fifth, and Hugh Jr. was like in seventh, eighth grade when they moved back here. Mm-hmm. And they grew up in this house the rest of their childhood. Exactly. Correct? Um, unfortunately, uh, probably due in large part to the genetics they inherited from their mother, mental illness started to develop mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, what do you remember about the onset of mental illness with uh, your children? Well, uh, the only thing I saw was uh, uh, when, when Breston was in high school, he, um, I can't really be specific, but he had issues. Uh-huh. And uh, actually, they, they went on to follow him to college at LSU. Right. And he's I, really been dealing with mental health issues ever since. He has, and I have to say, for Preston, he probably spent at, during his college years spent more time at uh, in, at Our Lady Lake Hospital than he did at LSU. Right, at the mental at yeah. the psychiatric hospital yeah. as opposed to the school. But uh, he continued to have that. But actually, one thing uh, that is, is a, really a godsend is the fact. Uh, he's always had to take uh, medicine uh, pills. Uh, is the fact they came out with an injection that he can take once a month. Yeah, and he does it willingly, and he has no problem whatsoever. Right. Did any of the other did Caroline or or Hugh ever exhibit any signs of explicit mental not, illness? Not not during that time at all. Okay. And then once the Breston started to develop signs of mental illness, did that raise any alarm bells for you in terms of what you had experienced with his mother? Did you start to draw that connection or yeah. start to get yeah. scared? Well, the doctor said, uh, each of your, uh, you have a one in four chance, your kids have one in four chance of picking up on their mother's uh, illness. And you had three of them, so mm-hmm. one of them developed it. What do you remember about Breston and Bub specifically their lifestyle in high school and I guess even in college in terms of like partying and drug use? Did you ever, were you privy to that? Did they keep it behind uh, the scenes? Uh, yeah, but I mean, like during the time, uh, that wasn't anything out of the ordinary, you know, with their peers. Right. Every, I mean, they, I put it this way, both seem normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as far as everything that was going on, right? When I when I look at you having kids, and I look at your development as a young man into adulthood, marrying Julia, um, it seems like you truly like that was someone you truly loved and had fallen in love with. Mm-hmm. Did you ever? Envision yourself having kids? Did having was having kids ever a desire of yours? Because I know on my part it is, mm-hmm. but I think that's probably because of the person that raised me, my mom, mm-hmm. who was like this natural born mm-hmm. mother, maternal figure mm-hmm. who loves children. 
Did you ever did you ever envision having kids, or are they just something that kind of just happened? It's, what, it's something that happened. Yeah. I, I did. It wasn't me thinking. I said, "Boy, I, we, I really got to do this." You know, it wasn't something you were trying to avoid. No. It wasn't something no, you were trying to make happen. Mm-hmm. They were just the result of yeah. romantic encounters. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so did you consider? And I would like to be as honest as you can in answering this question. Once you had us. Because this is how I I would envision it if I were a successful uh, young musician and young businessman and all of a sudden kids popped up. I would almost look at it as like uh, uh, oh, like a ball and chain or something that was slowing me down. Did you look at the birth of your No, t- absolutely not. Matter of fact, from the time that, uh, say, little Hugh was old enough to ride on my shoulders, he was helping me in my business. Okay. So he was like uh, a, a little partner. I don't Caroline. Okay. Everybody was just, we were having a good time. Okay. Um, when I look at, how did you view, as me and Morgan were growing up, did you feel any sort of obligation to help support my mom or help my mom out in that sense to raise us financially or otherwise? I sure did every every way I could at the time. Right. Was there not a lot of finances to go around? Well, it, for a time it wasn't. Uh, yeah, and if I hadn't been when I was trying to get things going, if I hadn't been living here with my mom and dad, it would have been tough. Right. So, in terms of having the financial resources yeah, to yeah. do so, yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about so. Breston goes off to college in two thousand, two thousand, two thousand one. And so that, at that point, you had everyone out of the house. Mm-hmm. Breston starts to develop some uh, mental health issues around that time. Caroline is finishing up at LSU. At that point, uh, Hugh Jr., your oldest son, had graduated Tulane. Did you ever, did you ever have like any specific aspirations for them or what you wanted them to be? Did you want them involved in music? Did you ever provide them any like? kind of try to gear them any sort of professional or academic direction? What were kind of like no, your hopes I, for them? I, 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 I gave no direction. I said, whatever you want to do, you know, it would be great. Yeah. Um, this is a tough topic. We brought it up last time, and I discussed it with Rustin yesterday. The passing of your mom. What do you remember about that? Well, it was, uh, it, it was uh, in January... Uh, that morning I had uh, my mom was taking the kids to school and that, at that point the kids were uh, little Hugh was a two lane so that was Caroline and Breston and uh, so she was taking them to school and that morning I, I, I had gone I think to Winsboro for something but uh, they were real foggy and uh, they were crossing the road track and the train hit them I mean they couldn't see the tra- train didn't blow a horn. They couldn't see the train. It's just an unavoidable accident. Right. So, yeah, for the listeners that don't know, we touched on this with Breton's interview, but there's a train track that runs parallel to the highway that kind of, mm-hmm. there's a highway that splits we crossed, our land. crossed 10,000 times before. Right. And so this, there's a highway that splits our land uh, that runs from Monroe to Columbia and then our land is on either side of it, and then there's a train track that parallels that highway. Mm-hmm. In order to enter our plantation, your home, mm-hmm. um, you have to cross over the tracks. Exactly. And so this morning, the super foggy morning, and, and the car was struck by the train. Mm-hmm. 
And what do you remember about being informed about that? Well, uh, I think at the time there weren't cell phones. I, I had a pager. I saw my dad. Uh, my uh, my dad paged me to call, and he to call home, and um, he said, "Well, uh, they've had an accident. Car hit uh, the train hit the car." Caroline's uh, uh, okay. They've taken her to the hospital in West Monroe, uh, but uh, the uh, the other two, uh, uh, one is okay and the other one is dead. Wow. So that meant uh, my mom. But they didn't specify. One is okay. One is dead. But you weren't. They didn't specify who. Uh, no. He uh, uh, he said, "Come on back, and I'll tell you then." Wow. And so you came home, and that's when you found out mm-hmm. that your mom had mm-hmm. died, and mm-hmm. your son was and okay. daughter had survived. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, after that, Caroline was in the hospital for a significant amount of time. Yeah, correct? for a month or so. Right. Breston, fortunately, was able to so walk right, away. He just walked away. But how much do you think that accident contributed to the onset of? The psychological issues that he's I don't had. think I don't think it had any effect. Oh, really? You think that would happen regardless? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then it was. Well, how did life change then? What do you? Because you were back here at the house. What was it like? What was it like being here oh, well, without your mom? Just my, just my dad and I and Caroline and Preston. How was Papa? Your dad was he different? How did he? No, he was that? always the same. And and and. Actually, uh, he didn't really express any emotion about the, about it. What about Breston and Caroline? How did they take it all? Well, Caroline was uh, Caroline was didn't know she was uh, you know out of the hospital. Uh, Breston, uh, I guess was okay. I mean, he you know took it took it uh, as he as as it came. You know, yeah. Did you did you notice any change in their emotional state or their behavior following the accident, Caroline? Not, not really. No. And then f- four years later, in two thousand ten, your father passed away. Correct, mm-hmm. two thousand ten, right. and that was more of natural causes, yeah, more or less. Yeah. He was ninety two, ninety three, and he. How did that all happen? He had had a well. He uh, a couple years before he had. Uh, uh, fallen, broke his hip, and uh, he had been in rehab and uh, in Columbia. And uh, so uh, one day, I think he got a uh, while he was in in the rehab, uh, he I think got a, got a urinary infection, and then the next day he got pneumonia and then he passed away. Wow! So it all happened kind of kind of quickly. Mm-hmm. It did. Um, what was life like then? So then everything was kind of on you, right? Your your parents yeah. are no longer yeah. there, and I guess Preston was out of the house at the time, right? Yeah. And so it was just you left alone here. Did that affect you at well, all? Well, alone, but you have to understand, uh, Caroline and Preston were both kind of around. You know, they were in, in some. Uh, they were in school some. They were here some, and and uh, so uh, Caroline. I see. Caroline had graduated from LSU, and uh, by the way, she, she had uh, 
she did she didn't go to school to learn to paint. <laughs> she, she I think she graduated in French. Yeah. Uh, but she actually she had no gave no inclination to wanting to paint. Right. I think the year the her last semester at LSU she took a class in beginning drawing, and. Uh, as far as I know, that was the first time she'd ever picked up a paintbrush. Wow. And now that's what she does, from what I understand, very yeah. successfully in Monroe. Yeah. Like she's yeah, she, After that, she went to, uh, <clears throat> she went to, got, uh, worked on a master's at Syracuse University, and then uh, finished a master's at Lucena Tech. Yeah. And now she works as, a, as an artist. Like, oh, right. It's, it's sort of like being a musician. You could try to be a musician, an artist all your life, and and be the most talented person in the world, and never make it. Uh, but uh, she has, and she hadn't really get. She had no real direction in doing that. Yeah, she's making it happen. Yeah, I'm super proud of her. It's incredible right. uh-huh. to see, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah, like someone's painting for a living. Big time, like a rock star. Yeah, exactly. The equivalent of what you were kind of doing, mm-hmm. some visual art. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember coming to Papa's funeral, and I need, and I would like some clarity on this because this has just been just a mess, and I've heard a thousand different things. Mm-hmm. What happened with Papa's inheritance? Um. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, he had left. You money, he had mm-hmm. left the grandkids money, including myself and my younger sister. Mm-hmm. But it seemed, I remember coming here for the funeral, it just being like a big mess and a big argument. I getting, I remember getting really upset at one point in, mm-hmm. in Mimi and Papa's bedroom because it seemed to me that we were uh, bickering over how the money was going to well, be divided. You know, the thing about it is unfortunate because it was just an emotional time, anyhow. Yeah. You know, and then it was just. One of those bad uh, emotional times that were, it was just bad, and uh, so and it didn't have to be, but it just was. Right. Did was there any pushback from your children about how much you were receiving no, versus not, how much it, we no, were receiving? It just settled in after that. Everything's okay. How did it all get settled out? Was it what what was followed in the will? How did that all get broken down? Well, I think that uh, however it was, I'm trying to think how it was. Uh, uh, each kid got uh, a certain amount, and then uh, uh, then. Uh, I'm at the house, so I mean it was whatever it was set up in, in the all world. the house and the land was was yeah given right. to you yeah and then the kids were given certain right well what I had understood at the time and I haven't I, I I at that point I just threw up my hand because I didn't mm-hmm. want anything you don't to do with that. that. I was under the impression that it was 50% was to you mm-hmm. in terms of just like monetary liquid assets mm-hmm. and then 50% of the monetary liquid assets was to be divided under among, amongst the among five the kids. Five kids right? Is that what ended up happening? That's what I understand, yeah. And is that what was spelled out in his... In his... Yeah, that's what he's, whatever he's specified in his right. Um How... So since then... You've been here. Breston moved back after college. Mm-hmm. How has life been since then with Breston in the house? How do you view that time, this kind of past decade? Uh, well, see, a lot of times 
Caroline was here too. While she was, going to, uh, while she was uh, finishing up Louisiana Tech, she was living here too. Right. So it was basically Caroline, Rustin, and I, and then eventually uh, when Caroline set up her studio in Monroe, just Rustin and I here. And uh, at, it, there was, before he started, <laughs> Rustin started getting his shot, <laughs> things were chaotic. Right. Very chaotic. And he was in and out of the hospital several times. He had to be institutionalized several times for his erratic behavior. Yeah, yeah. But 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 since he's past couple of years since he's been getting a, a monthly injection, he's perfectly okay. Right. Well, uh, for the most part, <laughs> he's a different kind of cat. Yeah, he's so. a different. So anyhow, he just he just himself. But for the most part, over the last few years, normal, normal himself. There haven't been any major episodes. No, not at all. That. Um, how kind of just going back real quick? I had something written down in my notes here. How did you? How would you compare Julia and my mom? Those two different relationships were they two completely different individuals? Were there any similarities amongst no, them? No, nothing similar at all. Really, nothing similar at all. Was Julia kind of more of a wild child? No, not really. But uh, she uh, see see the thing about it is. The environment of of everything when we were married was we did a lot of traveling. We lot of, we had to do a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and see, by the time your mom and I got married, all that all that calmed down. down. And there was no stuff, <laughs> no stuff really. Yeah, my mom certainly wasn't going to encourage that. No, <laughs> no stuff. So it, it was it was a uh, different thing for me too, just because everything was quiet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when Julia and I were married, nothing was quiet. Everything was just uh, uh, just a good time, uh, you know, just fun times. How was she, how was she as a mother? Did was, was there ever a period? Before she got sick, that you really got to see her as a mother. Oh, she was great, mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but eventually it, it, it was great, mother. And it, it's not really her fault. It's just like I mean, it, it, you know, somebody that get, gets cancer or diabetes or something like that. The the illness kind of takes a toll on the person. Right. You know. So that's. Uh, I don't blame her. Uh, no. No, I wasn't suggesting that no. at all. I just, I'd never no, even... she's great mother. Cool. How do you view your relationship with your children now? What would you like to see your relationship um, with your children as you enter um, old age and as they enter adulthood? How do you view your relationship with your kids? Well, of course, he's in Washington. He's... Uh, uh, I, I just like to see everybody uh, together more. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, this feels like everyone's kind of dispersed. Yeah. And then how do you specifically Caroline? It seems like she has had to distance herself from this side of the family to undergo her own recovery process. What are your I, thoughts I on that? I think that's it, and I'm just I'm, I hate to see it uh, because I miss her, but uh, she really doesn't. She really distances herself. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I miss her. Yeah. I, I, I wish the process would would go ahead and complete itself so we could, we could be a family again. Yeah. 
So do I. So do I. And that's a big yeah. reason I'm But and, and the thing about it, it, it's I do get to enjoy uh, uh, sugar concerts with me and stuff like that. So you do get to spend some time with her. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Get to spend time. But she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to go any further than that. Right. She doesn't want to make it a regular part of her life. Uh-uh. Um. As we kind of wrap up here, talk about. So uh, I mentioned that growing up, my mom always spoke very, very highly of you as a talented individual. But she also warned me constantly of substance use and the fact that it was in my blood from this side of the family, the potential for addiction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And because of that, I didn't take a sip of alcohol, try a single drug, roll a single joint until college. Mm That being said, over the last ten years of my life, I've partied pretty hard. Well, I've had, I've, I've, over the last ten years, once I got out of my mom's household, once I was no longer under my mom's roof, um, I have had no hesitance uh, to consume alcohol or to really try any drug that's, that's well, put in see, front of me. You and I are very much alike because same way uh, for different reasons. When, when I was before I went to college, you and I were the same way. Uh, and but after with the college and things kind of uh, loosened up for different reasons. But uh, the thing about you, Alex, you're so disciplined. Uh, you can take it or leave it. Yeah, and you take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. I've never had an issue like giving it up. Mm-hmm. I've certainly never had an issue with alcohol in terms of like feeling a dependence. Um, however, I will say this: over the last two years is the first time in my life where it's not an addiction, but I do feel I have developed a dependence on marijuana. Ah. And I think, in in large part, the reason for that was because of also what I referenced earlier: the OCD symptoms that mm-hmm. are developed in in adolescence. Eventually, I was medicated for that, put on an antidepressant to help deal with the OCD symptoms in college. There have been times in my mid and late 20s that I've attempted to go off the antidepressants, and it did not go well. The only other substance I've found that helps me uh, deal with the, the symptoms of OCD or to bring the kind of tranquility to my mind that antidepressants do is my use of marijuana. So I have found over the last two years that there will be periods of my life that I'll go through where I'll be smoking weed every single well, night. Well, see, isn't that the medicinal use of marijuana, isn't that one of the things that it benefits? Yeah, I don't know. That's something I'm struggling with, honestly, right well, now. Look, is like, is this, is should I accept this as like a medicinal use or should I try to um, work away from, from using this and, as a and crutch? Be, and be mineral. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, or is there other ways for me to manage my own mind you'll without... Find, you'll find that out. But uh, as long as... I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. I wouldn't worry about it. If, I, if you find something that... Uh, I have the same problem with uh, anxiety occasionally or depression or something like that. They just come and go. And... If something makes you feel better, as long as you can say yes or no, or you know, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. 
Okay. What struggles have you had with substance abuse and addiction or dependence on substances? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've just been times in my life where I just just went overboard. Yeah. I, and, and I know I, I know I have, but I, I've, I've reached a point of saying, "Oh, I can say yes or no." Mm-hmm. And you, you have the same tendency. You are so structured. You you can order your life where you can say, make make good decisions. It's it's all in in, in making good decisions. Mm-hmm. What role do you think your substance use played in the downfall of yours and my mom's relationship? I'm sure it had a whole lot to do with it. Yeah, because see, I was coming from the environment uh, of. of before our marriage of, of, of everything goes, you know, and I'm right. just used to that. Right. And your mom is you the know, exact opposite. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But um, I'm sure that had a whole lot to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, I bet it did. Mm-hmm. All right, let me check my notes here real quick. There's a lot, some last few questions I had, I feel like. Um, okay. Kids, are there other kids? Do you have other children that we don't know about aside from the five of us? Caroline, Breston, Bub, I don't me, and know. Morgan? Uh, none that I don't know about. None okay. have been identified. Because I, I, your first three siblings, uh, Bob and Breston specifically, have discussed that with me, but I don't know how much of that is paranoid delusion. How much of that is drug use? I don't know. Are, well, I don't. I, I'll, no, I'll put it this way: none, nobody ever come forth and say, "Hey, you're my dad." <laughs> what about Jonathan? That's Julia's uh, kid with the guy she was in the uh, mental institution with. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Jonathan is not our. No, kid. no. And then there's, a, there's another little girl, same father. Uh, that's Jonathan's sister. Both of them, same father. So Julia's child for the different guy. Yeah, but but father of both of, of those children. The same father. Same father. Okay. As far as I know. As far as you know. And they were born while she was in, institutionalized. Okay. Uh, two more things I can know. When you met my mom. Had you met someone like that before in Monroe? Was she a unique figure in Monroe? Well, it seems I just can't envision no, my I'm mom not, in Monroe. No, I'm not unique. She was just different. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that in a bad way. She was just different, just like any other two people are different. What attracted you to her? Well, I, I think we just became we we're friends, and uh, and she was attracted to my kids, and I think it was that was. Kind of, kind of it, you know. You were looking. You, she played an excellent motherly role. Oh yeah, that you she did. Yeah, she more or less just stepped right in when Drew was there and, and became the kid's mom. Right. Um. Last time we talked, I asked you about some of the happiest times of your life and some of the most difficult times of your life. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that this was now two or th- I guess three years ago that around that time was one of the more difficult times of your life. I think this is around beginning of 2015. Mm-hmm. Do you still feel that way? Do you feel... Not really. See, a lot of that 
was the cause of having to deal with Preston's mental illness. Okay. It was very difficult. You know, especially just he and I. Right. You know, but that's that's calmed down. I mean, like I say, he just brushed him out. He got crazy. Right. So you feel now currently this isn't like one of the more difficult times no, you're not Okay. And then what do you want for yourself for the rest of your life? What what would you like to accomplish? What would you like to do? Who would you like to be as a man going forward for the rest of your life? Haven't given that thought. All right. Mm-hmm. How about for your children? Uh, keep on doing what they're doing. Okay. What about those children that maybe aren't going... Do you think any of your children are going down the wrong path? Oh, uh, well, Hugh is. Uh, he's... Uh, I mean, but this is the first time I've seen it. He, he's either on something or not on something that he needs to be on. All right. Well, thank you very much for doing this. Well, thank you, Alex. You're very professional. (laughs) I'm trying to be. I'm hoping this is kind of my... You are. I am very impressive. (laughs) Thank you. And like I said, you know, throughout my uh, adolescence and and early adulthood, I I harbored ill will toward you. And I don't want that to be the case anymore. I don't want to nurture resentment. I want to nurture love. So I'm hoping that this interview and me getting sitting down to get to know you can be the start of a a new relationship for us. Sounds good to me. All right, thank you. Okay, appreciate it. All right, Mr. Mayor.